Let us pray. I don't know about you, but uh, this passage is set alongside a lake shore. And uh, some of us maybe have memories of a lake shore. I know I do. I, I grew up in Fermanagh beside a lake. Uh, and indeed, uh, another memory was by another lake shore, whenever I happened to be in Uganda working for Tear Fund, uh, and my father came out to visit me. And uh, we had a retreat with the other workers of, of Tear Fund. Uh, and by the shores of Lake Navagabo, uh, we had a weekend retreat. Uh, and on the Sunday morning, uh, we had Holy Communion, and I was able to have Holy Communion with my father. This is a precious memory, a precious memory of a lakeside. I'm sure that Peter, John, and the other disciples would always remember uh, this memory by the lakeside with the risen Jesus. Because it's a passage laced with memories and poignant words, I'd like, you to, I'd like to take you on a journey this morning uh, from the shallows where Peter waded through the water, maybe hopefully to the depths of what this passage meant for the disciples at the time and also for us this morning. We'll look at it under the three Fs of failure and of forgiveness and of faith. The first message from our passage is the exhausting weight of failure. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. And they went out to fish and had caught nothing. You can imagine the whole night spent fishing, the hard physical toil, the disappointment, the sense of, of failure, the sense of uh, detachment. And here they come, and they come in close to the shore, and a stranger shouts out to them, and it's quite interesting the words he says. It is friends or, or, or children or lads. Haven't you caught any fish? It's almost accusing. And it's funny that their only answer is no. I think it was a grumpy no because they were exhausted and they were tired. And who is he that he knows where the fish are? I mean, these are expert fishermen. I'm sure they'd fished every appropriate part of the lake that evening. But they do as they're told, they throw the net to the right side of the boat. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Can you imagine their surprise? And yet, unlike a similar experience years before, the net doesn't almost break, the boat doesn't almost sink, both hold fast this time. But what else unsettles them as they remember? The stranger, who is he? It's John that realizes first, he says, it's Jesus. But hold on, Jesus has died. They nailed him to a cross, they buried him. All their hopes and, and dreams had, had died with him. And yes, he'd turned up and then disappeared with them. But why was he coming now? What did all this mean? The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say this, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. You see, there's a bigger weight of failure here this morning by this lake, and it isn't just because of a poor night's fishing. It is the weight of guilt that Peter carries, because he knows that he has denied Jesus three times. Peter can't take the suspense. He's off the side of the boat and wading waist-deep in water. He has memories, but not good ones, shameful ones, memories of another night, of being humiliated by a servant girl and not even being able to admit to her that he was a follower of Jesus. 
She wasn't even a Roman soldier. She was no particular threat, and yet he had caved in and run. Maybe he had something to prove. Hey, Jesus, it's me. I won't let you down again. Maybe he understands guilt and knows that the only solution to guilt is Jesus. Maybe he hasn't been sleeping since, since he betrayed Jesus. Any of this sound familiar to you this morning? Maybe he's dying to see his friend and master to somehow make it up, to make it all okay again. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Another charcoal fire. This would also have been in Peter's memory because it was at a charcoal fire that he warmed himself the night that he denied Jesus and failed. Jesus said to them, bring some fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. Now I know they give the number and some of the early commentators started to try to work out if there's a hidden meaning. Uh, there may have been, they, they say there are 153 species of fish, so maybe this was a sign of completeness. But I prefer to think of even the more ordinary. John was a fisherman. They'd been out fishing all night. They were about to divide the catch. Of course they counted the fish. Even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. They pull in the fish, but Jesus has already fish cooking. He's eating fish. Ghosts don't eat fish. This isn't a ghost. Jesus has risen. The second message from the passage this morning is that in Jesus there is forgiveness. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you still love me more than these? Now you've noticed I put in the word still because there can be different interpretations of this question. But Simon, son of John, do you still love me more than these? Because remember that Peter had said that he loved Jesus more than the other disciples and that they might all leave him, but he wouldn't. So it's a pointed question. And also Jesus uses the word Simon, the term he first used when he called Simon Peter and not the name that he'd given to him. Uh, in terms of prophecy of his being, being a rock. Did he still think uh, that, Jesus, that, that Peter loved Jesus? Could Jesus still trust him? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. You see, Peter couldn't claim his recent behavior. He couldn't say, well, here's the things I did, because he had failed. He had a bad record. But he appealed to Jesus' knowledge of him. Jesus' questions aren't without reason. Remember, Peter did not agree that Jesus should, Jesus should suffer. And Jesus even had to rebuke him, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, recognizing that Peter's opinion was not of God. Would Peter still follow Jesus when the mission involved preaching and persecution and not glory and political power? Jesus said, Feed my lambs. You see, the proof of love was not in just admitting it, but in doing as Jesus commanded. Again, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt 
because he asked him the third time. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Does Jesus not believe him? Will he ever believe him, forgive him, be his friend again? But Jesus does forgive him. And as it says in Luke, those who are forgiven much love much. But Jesus needs to uncover the wound. He needs to force Peter to reflect on what he'd said and done. Yes, Peter loves Jesus, but there's no bravado now. There's no claiming to be a better disciple than all the others. And he's going to prove that love every day. Not as the headstrong, jump first, think later disciple that he's been. But Jesus instates him, reinstates him and gives him a commission to help shepherd the church. This is a role of patience. This is not what Peter might have chosen. Peter wanted to be the action man, but he's going to have to be the carer of the people of the church. Jesus says again, feed my sheep. Then he gives him a prophecy. And it's interesting what this prophecy says because it confirms that he won't fail again. It confirms that his love will be true. But it also predicts how he will ultimately show this love. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. When you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress or, or gird you and lead you where you do not want to go. Now, to us reading today, that sounds reasonably tame. But the term stretch out your hands was used to describe crucifixion. And the idea of being dressed or girded could have been being strapped to a cross. Peter understood what Jesus was saying. And it's not particularly glamorous. It foretells Peter's imprisonment and suffering. Jesus, or Peter had declared that he would die for the Lord and the Lord's maybe saying yes, but not yet. And this is also how Peter will show his love for Jesus. To us today, is it a sad or depressing prophecy? Well, it depends on your viewpoint, really, because Peter would lead the fledgling church. He would see miracles that he couldn't have dreamt of. And when it was time, and in God's timing, he would ultimately show his love for Jesus and then go to be with him. You know what? I think it was a good prophecy. But we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and on his glory. It's interesting where Peter turns and sees the other disciple and says, what about him? Partly, it's also Peter's not quite letting go of control here. He might be shepherding the church, but there are things that are not up to him. And that's what Jesus says to him. You see, there's a different role for John and for Peter. John suffers too and is banished as a slave to the salt mines of Patmos. But Peter isn't a writer and John is. Both were successful fishermen, but both were gifted and called to different roles. Peter tried to be the action man. Notice that he was on his own when he denied Jesus. He was on his own when he jumped out of the boat and left the others to land the catch themselves. But Jesus gives him a pastoral role. See, it's not about Peter anymore. He needs to think about others and to patiently shepherd the flock. Just as when the fish were caught, the net didn't break. Peter is to help keep the net strong to fulfill Christ's promise that none who belong to Christ will be lost. Who better than a lamb that has wandered off and now been brought back into the flock by the good shepherd to understand and nurture the sheep of Christ's church under his own care? I want to say to you this morning, if you have hurts or scars in your life, don't think little of them because Christ can use them and Christ can bless others through your dealing with them and, and processing of them in his love. Paul, 
The Apostle Paul would be the action hero traveling the world facing danger to plant new churches. John would be the reflective one recording these stories in a way that influences generations to come. As Barclay puts it, Paul the pioneer of Christ, Peter the shepherd of Christ, and John the witness of Christ. Whatever Jesus calls you to, accept it and do it fruitfully. See, we need to listen and accept God's purposes for us. He doesn't leave us the way he found us, and he directs to his purposes. Finally, this morning, I want to find the third message from this reading, and that is that when we have faith in Jesus, failure is never final. Let me say that again. When we have faith in Jesus, failure is never final. He loves us when he finds us, but he doesn't love where he found us. He doesn't leave us in the state he found us. He has amazing plans for us, plans to change the world, but not without changing us in the process. Now that maybe you've understood this passage, let me take you into a little deeper water, because I want to ask a question. What were the disciples doing out fishing? I'll ask again, what were the disciples doing out fishing? Jesus said he would send the Holy Spirit and they'd be his witnesses, but here they've gone back to fishing after three years away from it. Why did they bring in fish when Jesus already had breakfast prepared? Take a step back for a moment. Jesus spoke, they brought in a great harvest, their nets didn't break. Yes, he recommissioned the volatile Peter and gave him a lesson in forgiveness and direction. But as Stephen alluded to last week and how Jesus appeared to Mary in her brokenness, I think he's doing the same here to the disciples. Their nets are broken or are breaking. They're scared. They're fishing in the shallows and going back to the familiar. But after Jesus rose from the dead, the familiar no longer satisfies. I hope that's been your experience too. With the breaking of bread and the memories of the previous miraculous catch of fish, the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, Jesus reminds them and he establishes the mission and unity of the church with these disciples. As he prophesied, his sheep had been scattered. The disciples had dispersed to their homes in Galilee, but here he brings them back into full involvement in the mission in which they were called, back into the table of fellowship with Jesus and back with each other. Remember, Jesus hasn't left his church. He still sits with us. In a few weeks, they would experience a cripping by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and take the gospel to their countrymen and further afield. But in the day depicted in this passage, I think they're, they're worn, they're tired, they're about to give up. Should they be? I, I don't know. I just sense a warning as well as a blessing in Jesus' visit. Remember, we are believers in Christ. We have been given the Holy Spirit of Pentecost we are not only living post-resurrection as these disciples were, but we are living post-Pentecost. The implication to us this morning is that we shouldn't be weary in our old ways, worried about what we shall eat, but out on the streets of our Jerusalem, confident Jesus provides the catch, the strong net, and the cooked breakfast. And we don't do it our own way. There's a phrase, God has no hands but our hands. That's a nice sentiment. It's just it's not true. Jesus already had fish. He didn't need their fish. He doesn't need us. But by his grace, he uses us and he involves us. He is still at work. He is still, you know, there are countless stories that we only hear glimpses of where he's working in people's lives. But the beauty is that he calls us to be part of it. He is not sitting in heaven powerless. He is actually working through his church. 
and he just deigns to, to allow us to be part of it. Jesus does accept our fish, but he doesn't need us to do everything for him. He needs us to listen and to trust. See, Peter had hung around in a place of danger. He tried in his own strength, but ultimately had failed. If you're weary or have experienced failure this morning, Jesus is saying, come to me, obey me, follow me. I don't know about you, I cherish my lakeside memories. I think the disciples did too. Have you lakeside memories of when Jesus forgave you and gave you a job to do? And if not, then do talk to someone this morning or seek prayer or, or talk to Nigel or some of the staff because God has a plan for each of us. In conclusion this morning, I'd like you to remember the weight of failure felt by the disciples and especially by Peter. I'd like you also to remember the forgiveness that Jesus brings and also to remember from the passage this morning that whatever failure you've experienced, that faith in Jesus brings forgiveness and in him, failure is never final. Amen.